when I <clears throat> sing uh, songs like that, I'll often listen to the lyrics and uh, they'll trigger a thought in my mind. Uh, that song says, the spirit of the Lord is here and the evidence is all around. I'm mindful of the fact that some of you may well be in a season where you say, where is the evidence? The first thing I'd want you to do is just to take a look around you, if that's you, and realize we're the evidence. We are the evidence that God is alive and, and on the move. But I'm mindful that when it comes to bigger issues, sometimes issues like what's going on in the world, what's going on in our country, Sometimes it's a little bit harder to see the evidence. And I've been thinking on that for this week. And one portion of scripture has been laid on my heart. And I want to begin today just by reading this. And I'd encourage you to, uh, to listen to the words if you haven't got a Bible. If you have got a Bible, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60. And, I, and I'm mindful as I'm reading this how often... It appears to be the case that when life is unraveling, when society may be unraveling, when a nation is unraveling, when a world is unraveling, God is the most at work. And it's one of the hardest things sometimes for people of faith to appreciate. So before I read this, think about what the people of God were experiencing in Egypt in the Exodus. Nowhere was God more at work than in that period preparing the way, and yet the people of God struggled to see it. Uh, think about the time the people of God were in exile, the northern kingdom in Assyria, the southern kingdom of Judah in Babylon. Where was God, they asked, and yet the reality of the scriptures is nevermore was God at work. Think about the people of God in the New Testament, AD 70. Jerusalem falls, the temple is destroyed. People ask themselves, where is God? God, this nation is unraveling, and yet the reality of the scriptures bears witness to the fact that nevermore was God at work. And I want to say that all too often I experience despair and despondency and gloom in the hearts of Christians as they look around the world and they say, God, what is going on? But I want to tell you today, never has God been more at work. Because when the, the night appears to be at its darkest moment, when darkness seems to creep, the light shines brightly. The message of the Christian is that in Jesus, the people who walked in darkness have experienced a great light. Don't despair, because God is on the move. Look at this text, Isaiah chapter 60. Just want to share a few words of scripture before I <clears throat> go on with the rest of the message. Arise, God says through the prophet. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Now notice that, please. It's all good news, isn't it? But look at verse 2. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But when the darkness seems greatest, there's always a divine but. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. 
All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. I start with that scripture because all of the trends that are going on in this nation bear witness that we're about to experience something in this nation that we have never experienced before. In the next decade, definitely within the next two decades, the Christian faith will become a minority faith in this nation for the first time in this nation's history. In the next 10 to 20 years, the Christian majority will be replaced with the rise of the nuns. Not the nuns as in the priestly habits, but the people who are of no religious persuasion whatsoever. And for the first time in this nation's history, it seems to many as if the darkness will win. But I want to remind you that where the darkness is the greatest, the light of Jesus shines the brightest. Maybe the best days for the church in America are yet to come. I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that the darker the night, the brighter the light of Jesus. I also believe it's true, the brighter the light, the more bugs you attract. <laughs> it gets messy. Ministry in a messed up world, ministry in a messed up country gets messy. But even though there is going to be an increase in so-called bad news, I want to remind you of the good news. God is in control, and God has chosen his church across this nation to bring the good news of Jesus Christ so that those people who walk in darkness can experience the light and the freedom of Jesus. That is the call on this church. That is the call on every church that believes in the good news of Jesus Christ. And so on May the 3rd, 2015, I stood on this stage and unveiled what we called the Water's Edge vision. It was a vision filled with faith, filled with excitement, filled with optimism, not about what we could do, but out of a commitment to believe that no matter what happens in this nation, God sits on the throne, and that if we remain faithful to his call to be the church of Jesus Christ, called to equip men and women of God, for works of service in the world that he has prepared for them in advance to do Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, that God would do with this church what he wanted done. And so we unveiled this vision to journey into being a church that would move from being one church, one campus, one site in one place right in this room to by the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, being a church of at least six campuses spreading from here, Holland, and taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the world. And now, two years later, we stand here, and we are a church of six campuses that stretch from here to the ends of the world. And it's an exciting place to be. God is doing amazing things, and so for the next few moments, I just wanna share with you what, what God is doing. We took that Water's Edge vision one step further last year in unveiling to you the stronger challenge, sensing that in order for us to establish ourselves as this multi-site church, there were certain things that we needed to do. There were certain things that we needed to prioritize. And I shared with you last year 
our belief, and we believed it then and I believe it now, that what God was revealing to us is a future that is worth the sacrifice. And one year on, I stand here rejoicing that so many of you have sacrificed with us. And I just wanna share with you the amazing work that God is doing. I'm also mindful that since we've unveiled this challenge and after Commitment Sunday, I think it was June 12 last year, we've had nearly 200 of you step up and give to Central for the first time. Thank you for that. A lot of you started giving after the Stronger Challenge, a lot of you towards the end of last year. And you may not have a clue what the Stronger Challenge is. The Stronger Challenge is basically about changing the way our church engages with the world around us. We believe that God will judge our church not by how many people we seat, but by how many people we send. Now let me clarify this. That does not mean to, mean to say that we expect to gather here every weekend and see the pews empty. It simply means this, we want to grow and reach more people for Jesus so that at the end of every week we can send more people out of here living like Jesus to reach more people for Jesus. It basically means that we are not going to be defined by how many people are actually coming into our programs. We are going to be defined and judged by God at the end of the day by how many people we equipped and challenged to live like Jesus in the world. And we recognized that in owning that vision, there were certain things that we needed to do. There were certain aspects of our ministry here that we needed to develop. Some of those things involved visions and, and ideas and dreams that this church had had way back in 1991 that we'd put it out there, but we'd never had the courage to take it on. Things like our next gen space. This is what it looks like as of yesterday evening. We are serious about creating a next-gen space because we recognize that what was dreamed up in 1991 and the creation of that temporary building that we called the block, I called it cell block H, <laughs> was inadequate for the work that God wanted us to do. And so part of what we recognized we needed to do was just deal with those long-standing issues that we've had dreams for, but we've never had the courage to take on. Part of that was a new space. What you're looking at right here is what we call the next-gen hub. The next-gen hub has an alleyway that goes into the activity center that we opened last Sunday. You can see here from the, from the hub looking into our worship space, the next-gen worship space. And this is the view inside the worship space there. You can see the hall. The work is going on, folks. And Dwayne is just doing a fantastic job in, in helping us get this done. This will be used, this space, not just for students, but for our Celebrate Recovery Ministry on a Monday evening. They'll often share food together. They'll do large group together. They'll have a, a cafe together after it's done, and that space enables us to have a unique space where we can do all of these things in, in one space. There's also our legacy room. We recognize that one of the major challenges that we have and that we face as a society is that too much of our, our communal facilities are actually not optimized for people who, who struggle with mobility issues. 
What we recognized is that for many of our old people, the, the pathway from their community groups where they share fellowship and where they grow in the wood and access into this worship center was just too long. It was too far. And the irony is, of course, that Holland is a community that recognizes the importance of making mobility easy for our older generation. That's why we have the snow melt downtown. That's why they expanded the snow melt from downtown all the way to Evergreen Commons. Mobility challenged people a blast in Holland. We recognized we needed to do something. So basically, we created what we said was a 100 feet guarantee. That for an older generation, those who are mobile challenged, they would be able to drop, be dropped off right outside the doors of a space, enter into a community space and an elevator that would take them down into a fellowship, into our activity center where they could share a meal, two elevators basically that would take them back up into the worship center and they wouldn't have to walk more than 100 feet in order to make that possible. uh, Duane actually managed to do it, I believe, in 81 feet. In order to be an intergenerational community, we recognize that God was calling us that God was calling us to deal with those issues that hindered people's accessibility to our ministry. We don't want older folks to age out of our church. We don't want the, the older generation who experience challenges in, with their mobility to not be able to access worship and fellowship and communion because the space is too great. We recognize that not only do we have a responsibility to those who are not yet sitting in these pews, but through the ministry of the people in the pews one day will be, we also have a responsibility to those people who have sacrificed much to bring us where we are. We need to do this. And so that's what we've done. Out here you can see the wiring for our own snow melt. Right outside here there will be a snow melt. So as soon as an older person gets dropped off, they will actually be dropped off in a, in a part that will, if it all works, Dwayne tells me it will, have no ice. That's it now, as of yesterday. We recognized that there were certain things that we needed to do internally to make sure that our focus was not simply on those people out there, but also ministering effectively to whom God brings in here and dealing with our next-gen spaces and our legacy spaces were important steps in that. Right outside of the room here, we've also got that wall, right? We call it the dividing wall. And the good thing, Galatians, the dividing wall will come down. I'm told the Monday after tulip time is when that dividing wall will come down. Folks, we're getting close. They're working really well. This is what it looks like as you come in through that access point you saw, that undercover access point with a snowmelt looking straight down, and that will take you up here. It will make accessibility to our facilities so much easier for us to do. Now, I'm saying all of this, and, and some of you will be thinking, Craig, I thought you said that the heart of the Water's Edge vision is about people out there. Folks, it is. It may not seem like it with this, but it is. Part of our belief, our firm conviction, is that God will evaluate our church not by how many people we seat, but by how many people we send. We want to seat more because we want to send more. 
But part of that sending was sending Pastor Torrin and Pastor Jordan to establish uh, the local church, our campus in Grand Rapids. And when we talk about campus, it's almost uh, a church plant in the way that we do it. Last weekend, I was privileged to worship with Pastor Torrin and Pastor Jordan. That's Pastor Torrin doing his thing. Doesn't that beard look cool? On Easter Sunday, they launched with 354 people. At that Easter Sunday message, uh, 15 people professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of cool stories. A few of us were praying with Tyron and he said, guys, I want you to pray for something. There is a guy that I've been uh, praying about sharing my faith with and I've been just communicating with and conversing with and I've invited him to Easter Sunday and uh, he's now got a business trip. Guys, won't you pray with me that God would cancel his business trip? So we prayed that God would cancel his business trip and Torrance up there preaching and guess what? The guy is actually sitting in the auditorium. His business trip got canceled. <laughs> Torrance gave the invitation. Who do you think actually came to Jesus? The guy who we were praying for his business trip to be canceled. <laughs> Torrance and Brenda have recently relocated and and uh, they started to get to know some people in their neighborhood. And there was one couple they got to know. And, and Taryn and Brenda invited them to church. They came to church. And as Taryn gave the invitation, who do you think responded to the gospel? The couple that they invited. And then there's uh, another story of a young couple. Recently relocated from Lansing. Not the church type of uh, people, but they really sensed for some reason. Yeah, we all know the reason, right? It's the work of the Spirit of God on their heart. They recently sensed that they needed to connect to a church, and, and so they went into one church for the first time, and it was just way too big. I know a lot of people feel that about Central, right? And, and so they were thinking, what do we do? We need to join a church, but which one do we go to? And they're having this conversation, and the mail arrives, and they look at the mail, and there was this flyer that was sent out from the local church, Grand Rapids, from Torrin, and they said, why don't we try this one? Totally unchurched couple. Torrin gives the invitation, who do you think comes to Jesus? That young couple, they're all now getting connected in. All of that is possible. Six lives that have just been transformed for eternity because last year we embraced the commitment to actually give and to send. And as a result of that, six people, there are 15 that day, but I've just told you stories of six people whose lives now and whose eternity forever has been altered because we were willing to be judged, not by how many people we seat, but by how many people we sent. That's the heart of the church. As I was worshiping with them uh, last Sunday, Seeing many of the faces, I think it's like 55 people that we sent out, seeing many of the faces that would make ministry work here, huge personalities on these people, and, and I'm sitting there having fun and, and uh, just you know, conversing with them, and I'm having so much fun, and, and all of a sudden it kind of hits me, wow, I really miss this essential. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you can have so much fun with people, right? And then God sends them on, and then you connect back up, and you're having all the fun, and in a, in a moment, without you expecting it, you're blindsided by this emotion that, 
wow, I really miss them. And I sat there and I thought, God, sending sometimes sucks. <laughs> sending costs. Sending hurts. Because we miss what they bring. And as that thought and that feeling came into my heart, I was reminded of the words of J.D. Greer in his book, Gaining by Losing. And I've read this book a number of times. There are a few books that I go through a number of times a year. Now, when I share that to the staff, they say, yeah, well, you can do that because you can read a book in 20 minutes. And it's true, but these words that I'm going to put on the screen, they really do resonate with me. And whenever I feel the cost of sending someone, of saying goodbye to someone, th th these are the words that come to my mind. J.D. Greer. Churches that take Jesus' promises and the Great Commission seriously are committed to sending out some of their best leaders into the mission. Honestly, this is one of the hardest things for me to do. Finding someone with great potential, developing them, and then watching them leave to establish a ministry somewhere else. Down in your heart, you know you ought to be happy about this, but still, they're no longer there benefiting your church. Folks, we've lost some good people over the last seven months. We've lost some good people over the start of this Stronger Challenge. But the lesson that the kingdom of God tells us is the harvest is 1,000 times worth it. J.D. Greer goes on to say this. Should we also not be sending our best? Can we really expect to extend the kingdom if we don't? Do we expect that God builds his kingdom differently in our day than he did in Jesus' day and in Paul's day? Blessing comes only through sacrifice. God calls his leaders not to a platform to build a great ministry for themselves, but to an altar where they can die unto themselves. You know, last week, if you follow me uh, on social media, you may have read my blog. Last Sunday was just an awesome Sunday for me. Because I went to Grand Rapids, and I saw someone succeeding, and I could just sit there, and all I did was pray. And then I came back from there, and I went into the activity center, and we met 104 people that are relatively new to Central, want to connect in, and I, I sat there realizing that other people were doing this. And then afterwards, I hear Pastor Mike and Pastor Travis telling me about 20 children that were dedicated, one of the largest child dedication services we've ever had. And I'm listening to all of these guys get excited. And guess what? I didn't do any of this. And J.D. Greer's words here tell me that's a really good thing. Because leaders, they have to be everywhere to make everything work, have a vision that's way too small. Greer goes on to say this. This means sending out our best with abandon. Sending and planting is rarely good in the short run for a church's attendance or budget's bottom line. Of the 25 domestic and 90 international churches we have planted, not one has ever contacted us and said, we had such a surplus budget this year, we wanted to give, give, it, give some of it back to you. 
Church plants, he said, are like teenagers. They only want your money and your affirmation and then for you to stay out of their way. <laughs> he really does put smiling brackets. Sending is costly and painful, but folks, the harvest is a thousand times worth it. We really believe that God is calling us to move from one place, one congregation in one place, to multiple congregations in multiple places, because when that is the structure at the heart of the church, sending becomes a part of your DNA. We start to hold things loosely. We start, we start to hold God's call tightly, and we say, God, whenever you send, you'll send to us. And so I, it was just amazing for me to see one year on what God has done and what God's doing in Grand Rapids. It is amazing to see what Torrin is doing. But another pillar of what we were doing with the Stronger Challenge was also with our La Roca campus, our Spanish campus. And I want to set this up by pointing you to some stats about where America is going. Not only are we going to see the Christian faith come into a minority in the, the emerging decades, we're also going to see a profound transformation in the makeup of, the, of this nation. By 2050, the United Nations estimate that there will be 408 million people living in America. Now, the United Nations Census Bureau estimates that by 2060, there's going to be 418 million people. Now, in 2013, we were 314 million people. But in 2005, we were 250 million people. America's going to change. But 82% of the growth is going to come from immigrants and their descendants. People like me. 82% of the growth. Here's the reality. We have not got enough Hispanic churches ministering into Hispanic communities. We are not planting Hispanic churches quickly enough. And moreover, even where some of these Hispanic ministries are doing a great job, they're handicapped because the social uh, economic impact that they have is often lower at this point in time. Folks, sometimes they just need help. And so as a part of our Stronger Challenge, we basically said, we're going to make sure that we invest in the ministry of La Roca because the Hispanic community in Holland is strong and it needs to be reached for Jesus Christ. Last weekend, Pastor Jose baptized a, a number of people who had recently come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I understand from Jose that another 18 people are waiting to get baptized. At some point in time, expect to see the video there. I hope you're getting a feel here. It seems like you listen to the radio, you watch the TV, you know, everything seems bleak. But folks, the darker the night, the brighter the light of Jesus. And yet the reality is the darker the night, the more tempting it is to come into a church and think, please, for one hour, just let me feel safe. Folks, the reason for the church is not to help us feel safe. The reason for the church is to remind us and to inspire us that we are God's children called with a purpose, created for good works that he has called us in advance to do. It's to be inspired. It's to be challenged to realize 
no matter what I'm going through, God is large and in charge and he sits on the throne. Another part of what we recognized was going on and we wanted to change in order to embrace that is the way that people were accessing the church. People are no longer accessing the church in America the way they once did. I grew up in Wales with stories of the Welsh Revival in 1904. <laughs> it was funny, as we were recording earlier on, somebody asked me, uh, said, was that Welsh you were praying? And I said, yes. And they said, man, I didn't realize Wales had a language. Yeah, we do. <laughs> that was mine. And somebody then said, do you actually pray that? Honestly, I've prayed that prayer more in Welsh over my children than in English. It's my heritage. A part of my heritage was growing up with a church on every corner. And then through the 80s and 90s, all of this started to change. And the way people accessed the church in Wales was changing, but the problem was the church was too slow in picking up. And so for 30 years, 34 years, the church in the UK just went down and down and down until last year for the first time in nearly 40 or 50 years, the church in Britain stopped declining. You know why? Because those churches that were willing to make the shift and recognize that people accessed the church in different ways were the ones that were growing. Part of what we were trying to do with the Playland is not just to offer a fourth zone, okay, for our own kids' ministry. You know, large group, small group, teaching time, play time. Now, it's a great thing. But that's not why we were doing it. We honestly believe that the church needs to change in order to bring people through the doors and as soon as they come through the doors and meet Christians who actually aren't always complaining about things, do actually have a smile, have got life and joy on the inside, they'll start to ask questions, they'll start to have conversations and all of a sudden, Jesus will become a topic of conversation. We believe that. And so we put in that playland. It opened on March the 3rd. And I'm gonna give you some stats from March the 3rd through April the 29th, and these are amazing. In that period, we've had over 12,000 check-ins. Over 12,000. I say over 6,000 unique check-ins here, that is closer to 7,000. But it's not 7,000, so I'm saying over 6,000. Now, get this. 85% of them have no affiliation with Central, folks. 85% of them have nothing to do with Central. And there are already 36 children actively involved in our regular kids' ministries as a result of that. We're talking seven weeks. Seven weeks. Let me tell you some stories. A couple of weeks after it opened, Ethan, who does a, a phenomenal uh, job just running the Playland and our elementary school ministry, Ethan is Hannah's husband, okay? They're an incredible, uh, powerful couple, do an incredible ministry. Hannah is awesome. But Ethan was there at work one day and he got a phone call from a mom who'd come to Central and was really being challenged about what to do with their faith. And Ethan had the ability in that phone call to say, you know, prioritizing the spiritual development of your children is a really good thing for you to do. Just come into Central and check us out. And that family have been, and they've been plugging in. 
Another one of our staff member, a pastor, was serving at the Playland. Mike and I realized that there's such a great ministry opportunity at the Playland, we actually said our staff should go down and volunteer down there. Let's get back to ministry, guys, not only doing ad ministry. So one of our pastors is down there. Thankfully, this pastor wasn't saying, what am I doing here? I've got more important things to do. But they were down there and they were really engaged. And this couple came in. First time they've ever been in church in 20 years. Came into the Playland. A pastor starts talking to them. Soon it gets into the matter of life stories, and, and they were really struggling. A pastor arranged a meeting with them, and another meeting with them. And since that encounter at the Playland, that couple have missed church only one Sunday, and that was to attend a family wedding in a different state. See, once we break down the walls of the church, and people start to come in in non-threatening ways, we don't seem so scary. Last weekend at the Central Connect lunch, there was a couple, a number of couples that were there, they're Access Central through the Playland. Last week at the baby dedication, there was also an, a number of people that were uh, there that were baptized, uh, dedicating their children as a result of coming in through the Playland. God is doing an incredible work. But the key thing is this. These are big numbers, but behind every number there's a person, and there's a person who needs the hope and life of Jesus. And the Playland has been giving us incredible opportunities just to start sharing the conversation. One more thing here. This week I got a message from George Beals. You all remember George? A number of you do. Missions pastor here for a number of years. George sent me an email and I'm going to read it to you. George said this. You know that where I work, he says, we have several offices around us. I try to get to know the workers around me and find out who goes to church. My guy next door, knowing I had the connection to CWC at Central, stopped me this morning to say that he had taken his four children to the Playland area and loved it. In quotes, best play area in town, and best of all, it's free. <laughs> he asked me several questions about the ministries of Central. Way to go, Central. Good job of reaching into the neighborhood. Way to go, Central. Way to go, Central. But you know, the reality is that man was mistaken. It really isn't free, is it? Not to us. Hundreds of hours of volunteer time goes into this every single week. And about a million, $1.2 million to refurbish that area to make this work. It's not free. And I just want to stand here and say, church, Thank you for following this vision in such an incredible way and investing in it so generously. When we did the Stronger Challenge, that led us to put an initial goal for this year to collect over and above our regular tithes and offerings and our missions giving $800,000. The response was so good that we increased that goal to $2 million. Actually, it went to $1.2 million, and then Lynn Bruce, Mr. Conservative, actually looked at us and said, what would it be if we went for an audacious goal and went for $2 million? What do you think God would do then? <laughs> and Lynn, I think your number was too low, because as of last week, 
you know, that number was $1,971,000, which basically means we have four Sundays to get $29,000 to go for what we thought was an audacious goal. It seems that sometimes even our audacious goals are small to God, aren't they? Here's what this means. This basically means that we have already collected 57% at least of what we expected to be our three-year goal. My encouragement, churches, I could keep going here, okay? Story after story after story after story. My encouragement here is let's not forget the stronger challenge. We are one year in. We have made an incredible start. Let's not stop now. Yes, I understand the face of the church is changing, but it's changing to meet the challenges of a very different America to the one many of us grew up in. Don't be afraid of that. When the night seems so dark, remember, the darker the night, the brighter the light of Jesus. And to those of you who are new to the church and you're wondering what God is saying to you with, with regard to your giving, as you leave here at the information desk, we've just got some of these stronger materials. Some of them talk about a dream we have for the Playland and the Grand Rapids campus that you're hearing is already a reality. But guys, we want to keep going. Because moving forward, we believe there are going to be more opportunities for us to change the world through Jesus Christ, starting from right here in Holland. We may be a small town, but there is so much potential in this small town that I believe that West Michigan hasn't even found its place in the world yet. But we will. But what that means is we need to keep going. We need to keep pressing. And so I've asked the band to come back and to uh, play a song and to sing the song, and it's called Promise Maker. And in the song, that line says, you will finish what you began. As you listen to the song, enter into worship and consider again your commitment to the stronger challenge, your commitment to Christ. And as, you, as they sing, just say, God, here I am. Finish what you've begun in me, in Jesus' name. Listen to the song. Let's make it up, prayer.